0: That's right. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all
1: Hello, and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Stemp here. Thank you so much for tuning in. Excited for this episode. Normally, when we get requests to be on the show, the first thing I do is heavily, heavily vet the person. What is their background? What's their education? What's their degree? What's their experience? This time, I pretty much said yes, based off the title of the book, which is rare. The book is titled Give and Get employer branding. Repel the many and compel the few with impact, purpose, and belonging. Now, when you look into that a little bit more, it's basically how does an employer brand itself to get those that want to join the company and keep those that don't to stay away? How can companies better tell their story about who they are, their strengths, and their weaknesses? which will attract the right talent, not just all talent. Our guest this week is Brian Adams. Yes, I asked him about the name thing. And Brian is the CEO and founder of PH Creative, recognized as one of the leading employer brand agencies in the world, with clients such as Apple, American Airlines, GVC, Blizzard Entertainment, and more. I think another cool part about this episode is Brian talks about how he actually started the company at age 26, immediately after quitting his other job. And it's a cool way to start the conversation. I also think it's motivational. So hope you enjoy this one. Let us know what you think. We are smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com. Remember, for as little as 2 to $5 a month, you can support us on Patreon and get a lot of cool things. you get ad-free episodes, access to John and I, access to Ask the Guest Questions, access to our Discord more coming in the future patreon.com smart people podcast couple bucks a month you are now in the smart people club that's a good place to be let's get into it we are talking to brian adams about his new book give and get employer branding repel the many and compel the few with impact purpose and belonging enjoy Are you aware of the singer, Brian Adams?
2: Oh, it cuts like a knife when people bring that up. <laughs> because
1: I like he he played a part of my childhood. Like, I, I like that guy. And so oh. I, I can't help it. But mm-hmm. when I see your name, it's going to happen the whole time. I figured you get this, but
2: I had to say it. I only I only get it. Uh, once a day, for <laughs> oh, so I'm being
1: all. original. That's what you're <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I don't know whether you remember when um, you know the Kevin Costner Robin Hood movie came out. That's the movie. That's the of, song. Of, of course it is. So in the UK, um, it was number one for 16 weeks, and um, that was four months of torture. You know, really. Uh, yeah. Cause I was, I think I was early teens. And I was, was just about to uh,
1: say you were probably in a part an age in your life where it really <laughs> definitely cut deep.
2: Absolutely. But, but you know, actually I love it now because, um, restaurants and hotel rooms get booked really easily. Uh, so there's the upside downside. Yes. I'm constantly met with disappointed faces when I actually turn up to the <laughs> restaurant.
1: Hey, that's, You know, I I could see that being a downside. You know, expectations and reality play a big part of our happiness. So if their expectations are set there, I don't know, maybe once they meet you, they're like, I'm glad it was this Brian Adams.
2: Well, that's a nice sentiment. I'm not entirely sure how true that (laughs) is. But, you know, it's funny because people say, are you the real Brian Adams? I'm like, I like to think I am a real Brian (laughs) Adams.
1: Please define the, and yes, I am. No, I mean, look, that's what people come to this podcast to listen to. It's just really original ideas right off the bat. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, now that we have that out of the way, uh, there's a lot I want to talk to you about. You've got this new book, Give and Get Employer Branding, Repel the Many and Compel the Few with Impact, Purpose, and Belonging. A couple of things that jumped out to me, employer branding. We're going to be talking about why employers need to brand in order to attract the right talent. And then where I'm going to dig and dig is this idea of compel with impact, purpose, and belonging, because in my experience, every company's got a great statement, and then they almost never meet that thing. And I have seen hundreds. So just for the audience, that's where we're going. Here's where we want to start. You founded a company that uh, kind of touches on this issue. I was hoping you could just start us off there. Uh, What is that company? What's it do?
2: Yeah, sure. So um, 2004, I founded PH Creative. We're now um, a specialist employer brand agency. It's all we do. And we have, you know, that's that's been the case for about 10 years. We started out as a general communications, I was going to say digital marketing, but we did print and all sorts. I think it it was pre-social media, pre-Facebook, imagine that. Mm. Um, But, you know, slowly we, we started to work in the HR space and to the point where we, where we specialize in it. And, you know, Chris, it's fascinating because um, yeah, we, we, we got into this space with six million and one competitors in marketing and then um, moving over to, to this little niche, you know, we had about 12 to 15 uh, competitors worldwide, you know, and it wow. really sort of helped us um, focus in and grow.
1: How did you come to found this company?
2: So um, <laughs> I remember doing a job. The pre- my previous role, I was a, a designer for a magazine. It was a lifestyle magazine. It was monthly. So the um, the deadlines were just relentless and brutal. It was like you finish one, you're on to the next one. Um, high pressure, but I loved it. You know, creativity, design, all of the, you know, going on to fashion shoots and mixing with bands and that kind of stuff. It was all great high pressure uh, and I remember one day I did something wrong and it was an open uh, an open office with about 40 people and my boss walked out and he was a big rugby player from the north of England and he looked like Bluto from Popeye if you can imagine that I can. Uh, he put two fists on the, on my desk leaned in with his coffee breath and bowled me out in front of everybody and I felt about um, three inches tall didn't say anything stood up walked out Um, on the drive home, I decided that's it. I'm not going back. So I quit my job and I started the agency the next day, just out of defiance and uh, frustration more than anything.
1: So many of us can relate to that. I think if you (laughs) haven't been yelled at publicly in a corporate setting and then had the, the question of, do I leave right now? If you haven't had that experience yet, you're either too young (laughs) or you (laughs) will. I mean, it's just part of growing up few of us the next day, turn around, start a company that you know, 15 years later or whatever it is, is successful. First start, what was there early on that contributed to where you are today?
2: So um, a couple of things, the, but the first one was naivety because I didn't realize how hard it was going to be. Uh, and had I I probably would have been too fearful to do it. And that's why I'm so grateful to that boss, by the way, you know, um, that was a defining moment. I always thought I was 26 at the time and in my head, even at the age of 26, it was, when I grow up one day, I'd like to start my own company. So without that inciting incident, it probably would have been, you know, well, who knows whether it would have ever happened. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, but starting a company, I was lucky enough to stumble across um, a local organization of other business leaders. And, you know, so I had a bit of a support network. And quite early I got a, a mentor, a business mentor, who gave me some great advice, and I was about to go out of business because I didn't have many clients, and the clients I had wanted uh, ten times the amount of work that they would paid for, and I'd probably underpriced the work and made all the mistakes in the book. And he said, "Look, just double your prices." So I thought, like, "Are you crazy? I'm going to lose the clients I've got." I and mean, you know, it's hard enough to get them you know. But I took the took his advice, and essentially, it was um, what it boiled down to was a limiting belief. I didn't believe I was worth the fees that uh, I started to charge and it was holding me back and um, it was a simple thing but f- from then on I've always had uh, to some degree in capacity a business mentor um, to give me guidance so I think that's that stood me in good stead to be honest
1: you've said a lot of things that I've heard before and I think it's just hard to translate which is you know things like that being naive allowed me to start it because I didn't realize how hard it was going to be or I didn't have perhaps faith in myself. A lot of these things are real and they're heard often because of how real they are. I think the problem becomes, though, regardless of how many times we hear other people say it, does it apply to me? And
2: so are you different? Were you different? What allowed you to push through all of it? I was at the point of no return before I realized the, you know, the sort of nature of the reality, you know? So it was like, "Oh, I'm right in the middle of this. I've got to keep pushing forward now. I've got no choice. You know, I still had uh, rent to pay and, you know, a life to lead. And I remember early on I had a couple of staff. So I now had an obligation you know, to make payroll and so on and so forth. And uh, it was funny because I had a debilitating fear of public speaking. So I wasn't turning up for that presentation opportunity at the local chamber of commerce. I was not doing a great job or even turning down pitch opportunities. So I remember again, it was almost like sort of sliding doors moment. I got an email from, um, a stand-up comedy course and I signed up straight away thinking I've got to do something about this It basically said do you suffer from confidence like yes you know are you missing out on life's opportunities yes <laughs> you know, is this going to hold you back I'm like yeah you know so I signed up it took it was a six-week course and for anybody who hasn't done a stand-up comedy course it's the best weight loss um, course you can possibly do I lost uh, <laughs> 14 pounds in six weeks just because sheer. of the nerves oh my god just terrifying so wow of. Wrapping myself on a daily yeah. basis that, that that'll do it yeah you know? um, but I had to do 15 minutes of my own um, material in front of a, um, a comedy festival audience 300 people wow. who'd paid to get in um, wow. it was it was horrific but coming off the stage I mean clearly I'd never turned into a stand-up comedian mm-hmm. and, you know that wasn't that wasn't the point but I got through it alive I got a couple of laughs in a couple of the right places and it was a life-changing moment Um Because the next day I had a presentation in front of, I think it was like 15 people. And it was an absolute breeze. In fact, I was the most confident I ever remember. I enjoyed the experience. Um, I got some great feedback afterwards. And I think I got a deal out of it as well. It couldn't have gone any better. And um, in my naivety back then, what it taught me very early on was to sort of face into fears you know, don't put things off just sort of, you know, because um, that's that's what entre- entrepreneurship is, is about. You know, and I still had a lot to learn at the time. I've still got a lot to learn now, but that was a, a defining moment in my sort of entrepreneurial career. And then
1: the last thing I want to ask kind of regarding the beginning of this, and then we'll jump into the book and employer branding and things like that, is this idea of growth and staying relevant. As you talk about the industry you're in, Every industry has changed radically. What was the biggest challenge along the way as it relates to staying relevant? And then how did you get to the point where, like you said, you you basically don't have a ton of competitors. You have created the golden goose.
2: It's funny, actually, because as you get a little bit more confident and you start to th- think you know what you're doing, there's a real danger of then thinking you've got all the answers and you stop listening. Um, and... I've been fortunate enough to build a team around me who aren't um, backwards and coming forward telling me when they think I'm making a mistake. <laughs> um, so I've always been grateful of people around me sort of trying to keep me on, on track. But listening to our clients, um, you know, and, and, and you know, Chris, because you did it for long enough in consultancy, you know, if you're not relevant, you're dead pretty quick, you know. Um, so it's common practice to constantly be listening and, and really sort of digging for. Yeah, but what's the real challenge? What's the what's keeping you up at night and kind of thinking you know? And then um, being able to um, take in several um, views and try and join the dots and say, well, okay, if everybody has this problem, like, what's the derivative solution? And and that's what sort of started me writing blogs and articles and and sort of having a, a voice in the industry, which has helped enormously. Uh, and that was the sort of lead up to to writing. Um, my first book, Getting Goosebumps, uh, in two thousand and fifteen, I think two thousand and sixteen, and then uh, Give and Get, which launched. It's actually last. It's actually it been out a year now, um, but wow. we launched three or four days before the world closed down for COVID. So it's like the worst time to ever release yeah. a book in the history of. Books and releases, I guess.
1: <laughs> well, you know, now that you're on Smart People podcast, it's going to shoot to the. Absolutely. Bestseller list. There you go. <laughs> so, wait, two things real quick aside Getting Goosebumps. What was that book about? I'll tell you specifically why, but I'm curious. What was that?
2: So, um, so my belief is like marketing, the ultimate goal in communications is if you can change somebody's physical state with a message to so really connect with them emotionally, then that's the sort of uh, euphoric sort of epiphany, the, the the best state you can possibly reach for. So getting goosebumps is, you know, it's about um marketing and communications. And essentially it's about storytelling and as it applies to the to the a uh, marketing funnel.
1: The reason I absolutely love that and somehow I'm gonna steal it to some extent. I haven't <laughs> decided yet, um, but is at, people who've listened to the show for any length of time know. Every I'd say 12 to 20 episodes, I'll just pause and I'll say that was goosebumps. It's it's not controllable, it's not mm-hmm. pre-planned, it's not expected. It's something somebody says resonates so heavily with me that this is how I view it, that the emotional response is subconscious. It's yeah. it's it's so core. I, I've often viewed Crying this way now, not necessarily crying out of like fear or sadness, but you know that the kind where you're just like, I don't have any other way to express this emotion, like your yeah. kid's born or something. It, you know, it pours out Do, of you. Yeah. yeah, it's just I can't help it. And like, man, I'll remember that. So I love that thought of the book.
2: Absolutely. So can you imagine? And, and I bet every time you've got goosebumps on this podcast, it's um, the result of somebody telling a story. Typically, you know, yeah. Um, and so, so the story. I've studied story. Under a number of people, I've taken courses and all, and I've interviewed fifty of the best storytellers in the world. I actually did a podcast on it for a couple of years called uh, "Getting Goosebumps," interviewing um, like Gary Vaynerchuk and uh, Seth Godin and uh, a few a few really amazing story storytellers and trying to understand the formula, the architecture. For what makes a great story, so that's what that book uh, is, is is about. And actually, it pours a little bit into to give and get as well, because when we get onto employer branding, you know, essentially, it's just trying to humanize an organization in the context of uh, um, building a reputation as an employer. And if you can tell, if you can articulate what it's like to work somewhere through story, it's the most powerful device you can you can possibly use to do that. So it's a you know it's a building block of everything we do.
0: And now a quick word from this week's sponsor. It's no secret that podcast advertising has taken the marketing landscape by storm. As a podcast, our audience trusts us to put out great content and to curate sponsors with products or services they'll actually find useful. That's part of why the HostRed ad works so well. But the process of booking these ads isn't always simple. A lot of times the process can be super complicated, there's lots of back and forth, and it just isn't worth everybody's time but it doesn't have to be. That's where Gumball comes in. We listed our show on the Gumball platform because Gumball makes things so easy, it's practically magic. Advertisers will book spots on the show like ours, scripts come directly to us, and all we have to do is record. Bottom line, Gumball makes things easier for everyone. If you're a podcaster, it helps you monetize your show, learn about an advertiser before you say yes, know exactly when you're getting paid, And it's super easy to keep track of your ad schedule. And if you're an advertiser, you get powerful demographic filters to find the right show for you, you can scale and build campaigns with ease, and you can keep track of air checks when ads go live. At Smart People Podcast, we're on Gumball, so guess what? You can buy ads on our show by going to gumball.fm and searching for Smart People Podcast. If you're an advertiser or a podcaster, have a look at gumball.fm. Browse shows, discover new advertising options, or list your own podcast today. One last time, head over to gumball.fm. And now back to the episode.
1: Well, that's perfect. We'll use it as the building block for this conversation. So <laughs> employer branding. Listen, we've all heard about employer branding from the company branding. What struck me about this, and I don't think I'm the only one out there who's not too up to speed on this, is how do I brand my company so that it attracts the right talent. Mm -hmm. How prevalent is this amongst employers? How much are they thinking about their brand story versus what they have to offer, which is like, here's a salary, here's a job, here's a task, as opposed to, you know, the thing.
2: So it's a good question. I think uh, the market, our industry is maturing now such that it's starting to become a commonplace vernacular. It's, you know, most organisations will either have a head of employer branding, or employer branding will be the remit of their HR function in some capacity. A lot of the time, it's it sits under talent attraction. Whoever leads that, um, you know. But just five, six, seven years ago, every contract or new relationship we would create started with educating them as to what employer branding is and the benefits and values and advantages it can give you in, in the marketplace. Now that tends to be commonplace. Even at C suite, so you speak to a, a CEO of an organization, um, you know, most leaders understand that people are the only competitive advantage left in business, full stop the end. You know? And yep. um, therefore, if you can get get organized enough to articulate a coherent story that really does resonate with the right talent audience, it gives you that competitive advantage to not just attract based on competency and skill set, but culture match uh, and culture add.
1: Man, I'm really trying to prevent myself from just jumping in (laughs) with all of my biases, but they're going to come out anyways because I think that's what will make it interesting. The first one is the idea of needing to brand to attract talent in and of itself seems like... The reason I don't like it. Look, I know this is not your stance, so I can say this, Mm -hmm. but like that alone is, okay, so you and some consultants, you, Brian and the CEO or whatever, sitting off in a suite saying, all right, we need the smartest people. So how do we like break down their psychology and tell this story to bring them in and and almost entrap them in this job and give them the golden handcuffs and yada, yada, yada. And you can tell I'm very mistrusting a lot of organizations. (laughs) But I think that's also relevant to, to what you do. Cause it's not your message. So tell us, do you believe that to be true often that companies are trying to craft it based on a result and in the process, creating more problems for themselves?
2: Okay. So you've hit on the, the, the real knob of why we wrote the book, um, because employer branding is new and, um, the conventional approach to employer branding, uh, for the last sort of maybe 10 years, um, has been a lift and shift from marketing, you know, so it's, you take the marketing funnel and you apply it to candidates and and people. But the big problem with that is it works to, um, you know, 90% is is transferable, but actually everybody you speak to um, from a talent marketing perspective, you can't hire. Whereas in marketing, if you can convince somebody to buy your product, you will sell your product to everybody. Um, On this side of the fence, um, you shout loud. You want to be really attractive, but then ultimately you're in the rejection business. Ninety nine point nine nine percent of your audience doesn't get the job. So there's a there's a there's a big um, mismatch. So give and get employer branding uh, has been written to to provide an alternate approach to. Um, to to, to this particular conundrum, such that it's not just about marketing the strengths, benefits and opportunities of an organization to make you the most generically attractive. So more people apply for jobs and that's how you win and that's how you get the the best people. This is about matching and uh, balancing strengths, benefits and opportunities with what it really takes to thrive, including the harsh realities, the adversities, the sacrifices, the commitments it takes to thrive at an organization and that's not just in a bid to quench the thirst of being more transparent and honest with a talent audience which exists uh, to a huge extent by the way but actually like if I asked you Chris um what's the last thing that you're really proud of that you achieved um I mean, can you, think, does something come to mind when I say, you know, what are you, what's your greatest achievement? What are you proud of? Does something come to mind?
1: I mean, the, my greatest, the proudest thing I've built professionally or done professionally is this podcast,
2: hands down. Great. Scale of one to 10, one being super easy, could do it in my sleep, no problem at all. And 10 being really difficult. Where would you, where would you rate your, your achievement on that scale?
1: I'd say it's been Seven. Exactly.
2: So um, every time somebody achieves something that they're proud of, there the de- there is a derivative aspect of hardship, uh, adversity, challenge that has been overcome, or something that they've had to get outside their comfort zone or extend the learning or you know or, or grow. So what we try and do with give and get is uh, give an insight into that aspect. So it's much more um, not just transparent, but also it gives the the job and the joining an organisation much more value and much more worth. You know, like uh, to get into the Navy SEALs, you've got to go through Hell Week. Right. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty awful to me. And it's enough- like hell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's enough to make me not want to even consider joining the Navy SEALs. And obviously I wouldn't join the Navy SEALs for a variety of reasons. But some people, some people will um, grow up from an early age and uh, focus on seeing whether they've got what it takes to join the Navy SEALs. And they are attracted. They want to get into the Navy SEALs because of Hell Week, not, not despite of it. So one person's adversity and challenge um, is is what gives something meaning and value. To somebody else it's what makes them run for the hills and say oh no that's not for me you know so the idea of a a proposition um, being put out there that gives a talent audience much more insight into the reality the highs and the lows the pros and the cons the good days the bad days so they can make a more educated decision what that means is you'll get fewer applicants but you'll get a much higher uh, propensity of uh, valued applicants that are coming into the the opportunity with their eyes wide open, and when they if they get the job, they're gonna um, be much more uh, prepared for the environment they're they're asked to work in, and they're probably gonna thrive more than somebody just applying for a job based on competencies and because they 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 know .dot net or C sharp or Python or you know a coding language of you know some description. So
1: I think it makes great sense. Let me repeat it back and tell me if I'm on track here. The idea is, look, every every company is going to put their best foot forward. They're going to talk about the benefits of working there. However, in this newer and continuingly transparent, I would say, employer branding model, it's in addition, figure out your unique challenges and put them forth as well, because everybody knows there are strengths and challenges. But the ones will choose you where those challenges actually look like opportunities.
2: Exactly, it's exactly that. You know, one person's challenge is another person's nightmare. You know, and they'll make if somebody can make a better educated career decision based on those aspects of your employee experience, everybody wins. You know, um, if 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 you convince fifty percent of your audience not to apply based on the reality of what they're going to find, then good. Mm-hmm. I've never met a talent attraction leader who wants a million applicants per role. Right. They want the one applicant that is the right person, you know? So whilst, um, the industry the recruitment industry will high five and celebrate when they do an employer brand, they get more applicants for each role. Um, as soon as those applicants are received, you've got a recruitment team who are then deluged with all of these applicants. They can't possibly get back to. Um, right. you know, they, there may be some fantastic candidates in, in the list, but they can't find them because it's like a needle in a haystack. So, um, so what we're trying to do is not be like a, a magnet, uh, to attract, but a smart filter for the good of the candidate and for the good of the organization.
1: Okay. So I like that idea of let's put our difficulties forward and some will see it as challenges to overcome. Some will see it as things they want to run away from here's my then concern from there. And I'm sure you deal with this. You go into the company and you say, Hey, I'm here to help you do that. And they go great. And they give you the equivalent of when a job interviewer says, what's your greatest weakness? Well, I work too hard. Like my, my guess is you get companies who say, you know, the greatest weakness here is there's so much opportunity. Can you filter it or some nonsense like that? Am I on the spot here?
2: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And we, if we just interviewed the leaders of organizations and and produce brands based on that, you know, that that's essentially what you might get. But we look at the leadership view. We look at uh, the employee view. And a lot of the times, it's like therapy sessions, like they will tell you what and all they're like, and here's another thing why it's terrible here. Yeah. So, so you really get under the skin of what it's really like. And then we look at the market view as well. And you know, again, you touched on this earlier, Chris. If you look at the employer brand of one company and then you line up 10 competitors, there's a good chance you can take that employer brand and put it above any one of those competitive logos because it all just sounds the same. That's right. You know? So a big part of what we do is try and be the most relevant to the talent audience, but also offer a perspective of differentiation so you're more memorable and um, And, um, and usually in order to be super different, it has to really resonate and speak the truth. And it has to be inside baked into the culture of an organization that everybody will go, yeah, that's right. That is what it's like here. That is the opportunity, but that is what you've got to sacrifice and so on and so forth. And getting that right. Isn't easy. Right. Um, it's super difficult. A lot of organizations um, maybe from a lack of budget or naivety or, you know, a whole host of, of, of other motivations, just keep it surface and just put something out there that sounds super slick and it kind of works because they get people applying for jobs. But, you know, we're in a business of really defining um, what it feels like to be in that organization and what it feels like to go on the journey of where the organization is going as well, you know, because it, because it can be aspirational. It's just got to be true, you know? Yep. Um and getting that balance can be difficult, but but it's 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 a fantastic industry to be in because you know we're talking about storytelling earlier. Some of the stories I've heard in some of these workshops, you know are our, our strategists. if they don't make somebody cry during the research phase, we probably haven't worked hard enough. You wow, know, it's, it can be fantastic,
1: given the scope of companies, cultures, difficulties, and challenges they're dealing with, you've seen. What are some themes that have stuck out for you as, you know, these are the areas where companies might not be so shiny?
2: Yeah. So I remember working for, at the time, they were the largest organization on the planet, big tech company. And after all of our research, unequivocally across the board, what came out was there's absolutely no work-life balance in this company whatsoever. Like you literally just need to leave your soul at the door. You know, and if you're going to do three, four, ten years, whatever it is, be prepared that this is you're, you're giving your life to this organization. And um, when we fed that research back, um, you know, the, the natural question is, oh my god, like, what are we going to do with that information? Um, you know, like, w- what if people find out? We're like, well, people already know because they're the <laughs> ones that told us. You know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when you look at um, people who apply for jobs, get the jobs, and they find out that the hard way, and it's a shock, and it's um, a life experience that they're not willing to commit and sacrifice. Look at the disruption that creates to teams, the added, added expense, the delay in um, um, moving projects along. This is probably something that we shouldn't just be honest about. What we need to do then is justify why people are prepared to do that and what we found was you join this organization you quickly become the best version of yourself because of the harsh environment that you're you're in it's very sort of high performance you're surrounded by the smartest people you've ever met ever um, and you get to see the your work in the hands of millions of people every day and um, we even found an interesting sort of culture especially with the sort of software developers who they'd work fourteen hours, sixteen hours a day, and go home. And there's a good chance they'll carry on working when they got home because that's what they love to do. Right? You know, there's a certain type of person that really thrives in this organisation. Uh, on the flip side, there's a type of person who, you know, that that's an absolute living nightmare. Um, and then when you look at some other tech companies who do kind of similar stuff. Uh, there's, you know, and some of them have been our clients, their culture could not be more different. So therefore you can take somebody with the competencies and skills to do the job on paper in one would be a, a living hell In the other would be euphoria, you know? So our job is to help people make the best, better decisions and, and find a place that they can really thrive and add value.
0: Hey, it's John going to keep this one short. I promise. If you enjoy the podcast, please think about supporting us over on Patreon. Give a few bucks a month, you get access to our ad-free feed, the Discord, and all kinds of other cool stuff. So to support the show, head over to Patreon, patreon.com slash smartpeoplepodcast. All right, back to the episode. I love that example. It makes me think of, it's
1: a newer piece of advice, which is focus on your strengths instead of trying to improve your weaknesses. It kind of reminds me of that, but in a flip, way, flip side, which is this, explain your challenges, difficulties. Whatever. Because everybody has the same strengths. When you talk about, I mean, coding, you know, engineers, software engineers, is always one of the easiest ones, especially today. But you could take a Microsoft and an Amazon, we'll take for example, right? And you could be like, hey, if you can speak this code, or whatever the hell it is, I don't know that stuff, but you can go work for either. And I don't, I've never worked for them. I don't know, but I'm pretty sure I could nail how different their cultures are and why just off mm-hmm. of what I know of them. So let's not lie about it up front. Let's explain how that turns into progress or an opportunity.
2: Yeah, so it's, let's embrace it. Let's make sense of it and tell the story of why it is um, how it is and demonstrate, you know, not just people coping with it, <coughs> but people thriving within it as well. But you know, there's, there's more to it than that, Chris, as well, because we've been in organizations and, you know, we've, we've gone through the, the research and all the rest of it. And then we found that there's an incredible amount of community outreach and community engagement and philanthropic um, activities throughout an organization. And it's part of their DNA and we'll bring that up in research and it's like, Oh yeah, we've always done that, but we don't, we don't talk about it when we go looking for talent. Well, actually now in a post-COVID world, you know, after Black Lives Matter and civil unrest and volatility left, right and center, you know, um, there's, there's three big buckets that people are looking for. One is career catalyst. Um, will this accelerate my career? You know, if I do two years here, am I going to get the promotion I want? Am I going to get the salary I want? Like blah, blah, blah. Second one is culture, which is synonymous with employer brand. How am I going to feel? Am I going to fit in? Am I going to feel like I can bring my whole self to, to work, etc.? But the third one is this idea of citizenship. And I think next year, officially, um, millennials rule the world. Like this they become the age of 42, and they're starting to get the CEO jobs and the leadership roles and all the rest of it. Um, citizenship, especially with the last two years behind us now, is rising in priority such that people will make career decisions and buying decisions based on, how you treat your suppliers and how ethical the leadership is and what's your green policy and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we unearth massive strengths in organizations that they take for granted and we help them dial up or dial down things based on the appetite of the marketplace and what people really care about. It's a matchmaking service, really. Uh, What we're trying to do is just bring clarity and simplicity to, um, to the opportunity. And, you know, we call it the employee value proposition. And um, what we're trying to get right in that proposition is the give, what you've got to give and what you get in return. You know, simple as that. There's a few
1: challenges such as the one you just mentioned. Uh, we work a lot, but we're around smart people, et cetera. That, that's a cool one. But there's some that I can't imagine anybody wants to go to. So, like, I'll give an example. Um, hey, this organization is so massive and confusing and political, that what you do doesn't actually matter. It's just who you know, how you do it, and you know something else like the FaceTime you put in or something. Mm-hmm. How does that work in this? Does that just kind of get like, okay, we're gonna avoid that challenge? Mm-hmm.
2: No, definitely not. Uh, we definitely don't avoid that. You show me any working environment, Um, And it can be the most hostile. It can be uh, vicious. It can be uh, venomous. It can be all of those things. I will show you somebody who thrives in that uh, environment. Now, um, sometimes it's uh, if you you think past your tenure at that organization. So I'll give you a good example. If you can work at uh, McKinsey for two years, and you can get promoted and do well at McKinsey, there's a good chance that you'll get employed by Google next. There's a good job. Now it's 25 times harder to, to get employed by Google than it is to get into Harvard, you know. And I'm not saying McKinsey's got a hostile environment at all, but sure. it's a it's a it's a very well known high performance uh, culture. It's up and out. They either promote you or they'll get you out. Um, you know, so if you can do a good job there and you can stick it for two years, you've you've earned your stripes. Now, somebody really ambitious and career minded who wants to um, get promoted and get the pay and all the rest of it will look at. Uh, Organizations, no matter how hostile, and say, "I'll do two years. I'll do two years. I'll I'll prove I've got what it takes to thrive there because it's worth it to me in my uh, career to go on to bigger and better stuff." And if that's the case, uh, you know, Amazon has um, a hostile environment, a reputation for being fairly hostile and difficult.
1: Absolutely. You
2: know, and it bends people out and this kind of stuff. But if somebody came along and they look great on paper and they've been able to thrive at amazon you'd interview them you know um so uh there's pros and cons to all of that and it's about it's about the context of understanding what your talent audience really want uh what's important to them and what you have to offer and 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 matching those things together in a a really smart way
1: that's a fascinating point about show me any culture and i can show you somebody who will thrive there what it highlights is, look, thrive for different reasons. And I don't just mean different character traits. I mean different end goals. Like you just yeah. said, look, I'm going there for two years. I put my life on hold because in 10, I want to have a boat in you know, San Francisco and, and <laughs> exactly. work remotely and all that. That makes sense, actually. It's really hard. And this is why I like talking to people especially like this. It's hard because we live in our own heads. That's so far away from mine. I'm like, I want to be around good people. I want to make progress in the world. I want to have work-life balance. Like it's the opposite. So it's hard for me to, to, to hear that from a company and say, I want to go there, but that's the entire point
2: of what you do. Well, absolutely. But Chris, this will make you feel better. I hope, um, you know, the world is so connected now it's been run by millennials and yada, yada, yada. So what's happening now is we'll do our research and it's not about taking the reality that we find and creating the context and matching it best uh, to suit the talent audience. A lot of what we do now, organizations are making different decisions as to how they run, how they um, do contribute to their to the citizenship and um, their diversity initiatives are improving because they know the importance. And so what's happening now is the appetite of the talent audience is changing how business is done and changing how corporate america and companies around the world build culture and prioritize uh, value in their people and we're seeing a very clear um trend of that and it's uh, it's continuing in the right way which is great
1: what excites you next in your company maybe it's in this idea of employer branding where do you see five years from now the work you do being different and does that excite you
2: so what excites me the most is um since the book's come out and I've talked about give and get employer branding, um, I've seen massive organizations, global organizations, talk about their employer brand in the context of give and get. And so we've made a little dent in the universe in our, nice. in our sector, which, which is great. And what I'm looking forward to now is that the next sort of chapter is this idea of reputation as an employer um, and changing that from the generic, we want to be the best or we want to be attractive. And linking the core business strategy that's on a CEO's desk with what's possible from employer brand to power that with the right people, that direct correlation um, is starting to be made. And you know we're at the forefront of helping organisations really craft the reputation they need to drive the business forward. Um, and that, to me, is a super fascinating place to um, to, to be. It really is exciting
1: conversations like this, and I've had a couple over the years and listened to people like Gary Vaynerchuk who have changed my opinion on this idea of marketing in general. I think 10 years ago or even six, seven, I'd be like, hey, Brian, aren't you just like helping put a shiny sticker on something that's probably not that shiny? But the truth is maybe, but if it gets both parties better outcomes without obviously lying, manipulating, distorting the facts, is that a bad thing? And I I think that's the beauty of it.
2: Yeah, except I would say the days of bragging your way to success are over. Yeah, I think that the audience is smarter than that, and if they don't find your weaknesses, potential downfalls, or um, the harsh realities and this you know, that, like they will go to the likes of Glassdoor, and they will find them elsewhere. So you may as well control the narrative. Um, yourself and and embrace it because people are smart on average people spend six to eight hours researching your company before applying for a job wow yeah you know um so do you want them to find um all of the, the potential negatives somewhere else or do you want to be upfront about it you know use the, the eight mile approach as we say you know yeah There's all the things
1: you know what that reminds me of you might've heard of this. Dan Pink wrote in his book to sell as human. He talked about how the script has flipped and that now the person buying the car knows more about the car than the car salesman. I have never Absolutely. forgot that because, <laughs> and people yes. know this, like I'm doing lo- landscaping stuff. I know more about fertilizer now than most you know people who have yes. landscaping companies. I've spent a yeah. month on Amazon and, and, you know, because it's fun. So to your point, more educated consumer, more information, more transparency, hopefully leads to those better outcomes if you're doing it the right way.
2: Absolutely. And that is the perfect example. And I predict the number one interview question asked by candidates over the next 12 months will be, tell me how you managed your people through, through COVID and how's the organization changed as a result?
1: Such a good point. And if it isn't the number one, now it will be because we're going to tell people to ask it, but I like, Yay, you I like what you're saying. I mean, <laughs> you know, remembering it's this two way street. I think mm-hmm. you're probably seeing it more, but, um, I've heard, I haven't been in the job market. I'm not really doing that thing, but I've heard like people have the options now to kind of say, I want to make sure that this role fits my life in, um, mm-hmm. in more than just, is it a paycheck?
2: Oh, absolutely. You know, people are, shopping for jobs rather than applying for ah. jobs. Uh, you know, and we've seen what they call in the great resignation, yeah. you know, like thousands of people are leaving great companies. Yeah, um, And actually it's not the great resignation. That's just the end result. It's the great epiphany. People are realizing that they've got more choice. Their life has changed. They wake up one day and say, Hey, do you know what? I, I want to paint. Um, landscapes in Scotland. Well, nothing can, cha- no, like nothing can change that person's right. You know, people want different things. They're they're valuing different things out of their life, and um, it's a buyer's market. So organizations have to listen to that and they have to move with agility faster than they've ever done before. So they have to have a coherent story and understand what it takes to not just get the attention of a talent audience, but to create affinity with that talent audience quickly. Otherwise, they're going to lose out to the competitors. So it's highly competitive, but bragging your way to winning uh, that competition, those days are gone.
1: What a great way to end it. I love that. Brian, I really appreciate it. As we mentioned, the book is Give and Get Employer Branding, Repel the Many and Compel the Few with Impact, Purpose and Belonging. For those listening, you know, and we'll link to the book anywhere else they can find you. Uh, Are you still doing the blog stuff you were mentioning? Where can we go to learn more?
2: So if you go to uh, ph-creative.com, that's our our agency. So you can look a little bit more about uh, employee branding there or I'm really active on LinkedIn. So I think it's Brian Adams spelt just like the singer with the Y (laughs) uh, with a number one on the end. I think you'll find me on, on LinkedIn.
1: I love it. Brian, thank you so much. Awesome conversation. Really appreciate it.
2: Chris, my pleasure. Thanks a lot.
0: All right, hope you enjoyed that interview with Brian Adams. And if you've made it this far, you know it's the author, not the singer. Don't do that to Brian. But Brian's book, Give and Get Employer Branding, Repel the Many and Compel the Few with Impact, Purpose, and Belonging, can be found wherever books are sold. All right, let's jump into the quick housekeeping items. If you'd ever like to reach out to the show, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. And if you want to support the show monetarily, head over to Patreon, patreon.com smartpeoplepodcast smart can give us a few bucks a month, join the discord, get access to the ad free feed, etc. Or if you want to help the show in a free and easy way, you can always tell a friend or two or a family member about the podcast, send them a couple of episodes that you think they might like, and just help spread the word. And if you want to stay up to date with all things smart people podcast, head over to the website smartpeoplepodcast.com and sign up for the newsletter. All right, that's it for us this week. Make sure you stay tuned because we've got a lot of great interviews coming up and we'll see you all next episode.